Hey, soccer fans and Chicago Fire fans, welcome to the first full episode of the new Feed the Fire podcast. We had our intro episode, it's five minutes. If you want to go hear what we're all about, go back and listen to that one. But basically, we are a fired up, engaging podcast here talking all things Chicago Fire and MLS. And the whole point is to get you fired up about the team. Whether that's because you're excited to support them or whether that's because you want to throw criticism at them and just commiserate with other Chicago Fire fans, we're here for all of that and everything in between. So for our first content-based episode, not that intro one we put out, for the first real episode, we're going to take a look back at the 2022 season and see what went wrong. Because generally, I think we can all agree that a lot of things went wrong and that the Chicago Fire did not perform the way we wanted to see them perform. Uh, as fans, we were left wanting a lot of different things at the end of that season. Uh, they finished 12th in the Eastern Conference, just ahead of Toronto and DC United, two teams who were in absolute freefall. And but for the Fire's early defensive prowess, where I think they went what, 10 games without conceding a goal or, or something? They had some crazy streak to start the season where they didn't concede or where they didn't uh, lose a game. I think that was it. Um, and Gaga Slonina in goal had his uh, goal of, you know, getting the most clean sheets. He wanted to set that record. So you had a goalie who was locked in and a defense who was locked in. Thank you, Coach C.J. Brown, for that. Uh, but yet a defense that had to deal with some injuries along the way. A defense that had to deal with attacking players that couldn't score. A defense who was often playing from behind uh, or playing at a draw and trying to, to chase the game and get those points either at home or late in the season. Uh, and, and again, a defense that at times did break down uh, in dramatic fashion. See that Columbus Crew game where they gave up three goals in the second half while at home to a decent crowd. So, you know, the Chicago Fire can build off of that. But again, we're getting ahead of ourselves they finished 12th in the Eastern Conference out of 14 teams, and they need to improve on that. They need, I think, for this to be considered a successful season, to at least finish ninth in the Eastern Conference and make the playoffs. We just heard about the expanded playoff format, and we're going to talk about that in a future episode and give all of my hot takes and, and listen to some feedback from, from the online community here. Uh, so if if the fire can get to ninth place and get to that wild card game, that would be a dramatic improvement over this year. Uh, though I, I don't think they have made the right moves to get there. So let's, let's look back now at what went wrong in the 2022 season. First off, I'm going to say generally it was just a lack of talent. And when you talk about an MLS team's talent, you got to start with their designated players. Who are the three DPs for the Chicago fire? Gaston Jimenez, Jairo Torres, and Jardin Shakiri. Now, starting with Gaston Jimenez, let me be blunt. He is overpaid. He is a wasted DP spot. Uh, for 2023, he did get bought down to a TAM, a targeted allocation money deal. Uh, but that is still very, very generous uh, for how he has produced over his tenure with the Chicago Fire. Now, his, his, his supporters, the people who will back him, will say, well, he's an excellent passer. And he, he can he can play good defense. And and yes, you, you do have a point. He is a very good passer of the ball. Uh, but when you're a DP, you got to do more than just pass the ball well. And honestly, he wasn't passing it so well. If if 
they weren't scoring goals and getting the ball in dangerous areas, right? Uh, we saw Gutierrez and Shakiri, and, and even in instances when Mauricio Pineda was called in to play D-mid, that his passing was on par or better than Jimenez. So, uh, fine, he's a good passer, but but we need more. When you're saying he's good in playing defense and positionally, yeah, that's fine when he's actually in position. Uh, how many times did we see him walking around the field, right? If you're a DP, if you're a senior player, if you're a leader, doesn't sound like he is a leader, though, um, you need to be doing that through the 90 minutes through the season. Uh, we I expected more from him. What's crazy is that the Chicago Fire back in 2020 or 2021 had offers from South American teams for Gaston Jimenez, but the Fire doubled down on him and signed him to uh, this DP contract. And now uh, they've realized the mistake. They can't dump him. They can't recoup their money, so they've signed him to a TAM deal. Uh, I hope he continues to play at his current level. I think that's the best we can hope for. As bad as he's played throughout his last couple seasons with the fire, I think the best we can hope for is he just maintains that as he gets older. Uh, next DP, Jairo Torres, came in mid-season. He's a, a U22 DP signing, uh, so the fire need to take advantage of that uh, and build out the roster using some extra U22 spots, which they haven't done, but we're going to move past that right now. Um, Jairo Torres came in with a hip injury. Uh, so that really stymied his play last season. Came in in the middle of the season, summer transfer window, had a hip injury, didn't get a good run of play until several games into his Chicago Fire career, uh, and then picked up another injury. So either the Chicago Fire were so high on Jairo Torres that no matter what his physical fitness was, they were going to sign him, or they had no idea what they were getting into. And unfortunately, you wasted a DP spot on a player who could not play physically was limited because of his injuries now hopefully when he is fully fit and hopefully he is fully fit getting into this 2023 season we will see a lot of what he was known for with atlas in liga mx when they won uh their liga mx titles i think they won both the clausura and apertura the year before he he signed with the chicago fire and that is getting the ball on the wing taking on defenders one-on-one playing some good balls into the middle for uh, the strikers and the on-rushing attackers, or then getting into some good spots as a late-arriving runner. Like I want to see him use his speed and his agility to beat defenders and to get in behind defenders to receive balls, and hopefully uh, that is what happens. And then finally, you've got Jordan Shakiri. Is the jury still out on him? Are we saying he was a bust yet, or was he just a, to be determined? Because on the one hand, Shakiri based on his resume and his talent is maybe one of the top five or top 10 players in major league soccer, just based on his entire career uh, in major league soccer currently, I will say, but his performance last season, yeah, he didn't even get uh, a, a best 11 look. He didn't get on any sort of like second and third team looks. I mean, if you guys listen to the extra time podcast, they make lists of everything and, and all these different things. And Shakiri wasn't on any of them as far as I recall. So he's not playing up to his potential. Okay, fine. He was just trying to stay fit for the world cup and we shouldn't expect too much. And, oh, he had no talented players to send the balls to. Well, that, to me, that that's wrong. You had Shabilko who, yes, sucked last season. I'll, I'll say it. He sucked last season, but everyone said, Oh, well, he, he needs service. He's a target striker. He needs service. 
Shakiri was serving him up. Gutierrez was serving him up. So don't don't tell me that Shakiri didn't have guys to play the ball to. Uh, also, then when you are that good, take a guy one on one and get a shot off. The way defenses play in MLS, if you're not pressing and counter pressing, you're usually dropping back into a lower block. At least that's what I've observed. If you've seen other things, let me know either in the YouTube comments or you can email me glasshousesoccer at gmail.com or find me on Twitter and Facebook at Glasshouse Soccer. Most MLS defenses tend to drop back a little bit, play a little more conservatively, unless you have that Red Bull style of pressing, counter-pressing, unless you're you're a Philly kind of counter-pressing team, pressing team. I'm sure there's a few others that do that as well. Uh, so he should be able to get into some good places and, and get some shots off. Uh, and I'm not talking 40-yard you know, field goal attempts. Yeah, you're playing at Soldier Field, but let's let's get a, a respectable shot off, right? Um, also, he should be able to do a little bit more with his link-up play uh, with some of his other players around him. But that also, and this is where I'll get to the benefit of the doubt of Shakiri. maybe the formation didn't suit him very well. They had him playing centrally uh, in a 4-2-3-1. In a uh, Ezra Hendrickson might have to shift that around to to either a 4-3-3 to accommodate some of the wing play that we're going to get uh, with an abundance of wingers with Torres, with Mueller, with Gutierrez and Shakiri, or maybe move Gutierrez in the middle, uh, bring up a couple guys from fire two perhaps. But I know Ezra likes to use those wing backs, so I don't know if he's going to change up his formation at all, but we need more, more production from Jardin Shakiri, not just those penalty spot goals, but actual run of play or free kick production from Shakiri. The guy at one point was the highest paid player in MLS uh, and had the highest transfer fee at some point last season. So the, the money does not, the money needs to justify it, right? The play needs to justify the spending. Okay. So we talked about DPs. We don't know who, which DP is going to come in and fill in for uh, Gaston Jimenez uh, because they have been a failure in signing any international players to date. And we're going to look at uh, some of the roster moves and hopeful moves uh, in a future episode. So stay tuned for that. Um, but let's just say that the fire front office have not been able to close any big deals, at least on the incoming player transfer. Now, uh, one of the other things that I think was a problem for the Chicago fire uh, last season were that players were playing out of position. Now we touched on it. A lot of people think Shakiri should be out on the wing and a lot of people think Gutierrez should be centrally uh, playing so that he can kind of facilitate and use some of his dribbling skills to get around that first defender and then distribute the ball. That's the first thing. Now, Shabilko, I think, was used incorrectly. Not out of position as a striker, but he was a lone striker. And if people were saying he's a target striker, you need to give him service, you need to give him service. Well, he was getting plenty of that and was not converting. I even remember a play where he tripped over the ball on the 18-yard line and was unable to get a shot off and the defenders were able to recover on him, right? Like they, they were just the moments he was wide open, he flubbed them and the the quality chances he got, he could not convert. So maybe he's not out of position as that lone striker or as a striker, but maybe as a lone striker. Maybe he needs someone uh, to be paired with uh, so he can kind of facilitate or have them draw some defenders off. Or if that other striker is, is making a run in behind, Shabilko can work a give and go or then take the vacated space and get a shot off. Uh, if you remember his time at Philly, I think they were using a lot of two striker sets. So perhaps Shabilko was being played in a wrong formation. 
Also, let's look at Gaston Jimenez. Um, he was out of position numerous times. I can You can literally was out of position. We touched on that already. Also, let's look back at the former Chicago Fire player, Jonathan Bornstein. Uh, he had to play three different positions last season at age 38. So uh, you want to talk about roster building in depth. You've got a 38-year-old. As, as much as we love Johnny, as much as you know, he was a solid MLS player for, for the Chicago Fire, even had a game-winning goal early on in the season. Uh, anytime you have a 38-year-old who's got to fill in for three different positions over the course of the season, you're in trouble. Now he he was playing left wing back. He was playing left wing. He was he was playing a lot on the left side, uh, some midfield positions as well. I think he played D mid for a few games. Like the fact that they didn't have anyone on on fire two or anyone else in kind of those supplemental roster spots to bring up and put in there, it doesn't make any sense to me. Bornstein was out of position so much, and it really was a huge weakness for the fire. The other big weakness, man, we're coming up on fifteen minutes here on the podcast, on the show, and we've only hit the first two weaknesses, right? The third weakness in my mind were formation and substitutions, and you can throw in tactics a little bit here too. Ezra Hendrickson rolled out the same 4-2-3-1 starting formation every single week. I'll give him the benefit of the doubt and say one week he came out with a 4-3-3, or maybe in the second half he switched to a 4-3-3. One of the few times he actually made a halftime adjustment. And in that case, things kind of opened up for Gutierrez and Shakiri. So I would expect, I would hope that they learn from that. And that given their current roster with, with more wingers and less kind of ball carrying and possession-based midfielders, they go to that. 4-3-3 formation and kind of unleash the wingers up the field and allow Gutierrez and Shakiri to kind of spray the ball around a little bit, get into those channels, let Mueller make those runs, right? But the 4-2-3-1 got rolled out every single week and every single week the Chicago Fire could not score any goals. When you have that formation, it's an attack-minded formation. You have Six guys in a more defensive position and four players in a more offensive position just up the field. You have the two D-mids and the two central backs playing that kind of central block that can absorb the counterattacking pressure, and then you unleash the wingbacks. So even those, so let me even change what I just said. You've got four guys who are primarily defenders, and you've got six guys primarily attacking if you're sending those wingbacks up, right? And they could not score. In matter of fact, the Chicago Fire had only 39 goals last season in 34 MLS games. They barely scored uh, over a goal a game. Now you want to take a look at the top seven teams, those teams who made the playoffs. The worst goal scoring team of a playoff team in the East was Orlando City with 44 goals. And even then, Columbus and Charlotte, New England and Atlanta down to the 11th seed from last year, all had between 44 and 48 goals. Uh, even just behind the Chicago Fire, Toronto FC had 49 goals, but they just had a, a 66 goals given up. That was killing them. Their defense was even worse than Chicago. So Chicago was the worst offensive team by goals scored in the Eastern Conference last year, with the exception of D.C. United. And even then, it was only three-goal difference. Uh, DC with 36 goals for the fire with 39 goals for you want to look at the Western conference. 
let's see. In the Western Conference, the team with the least goals scored was Sporting Kansas City. Excuse me, Vancouver with 40 goals. So the Chicago Fire, second worst offensive team by goal scored in the league last season. I think a lot of that has to do with formation. I think a lot of that has to do uh, with tactics. You saw Chris Mueller get very, very frustrated and have his hands up, shaking his hands, hands on his head, after he saw his his midfielders and his strikers not finding him open on the edge of the box or making those late runs. Um, The Fire need to look for him to do that a lot more in the future. Additionally, substitutions were way too predictable. Uh, You could set your clock to the 65th minute substitution pattern uh, substitution that Ezra Hendrickson would make. He would always sub in at the 65th and then throw someone else in at the 75th. And then that late game, you know, 88th ish or so approaching the 90th minute sub. Um, Occasionally you'd get a halftime sub or if someone got a yellow card, he would have an earlier substitution. But personally, this is my own opinion. You've got to have impact subs. Substitutions need to change the game in your favor. You are either putting subs in to increase your offense, to increase your possession, or to hunker down, bunker down, and preserve your lead. That's, to me, the three main things you do with substitutes. Preserve your lead, go get a goal, or maintain possession and, and kind of see what you can see what you can do. Get a late goal, maybe see a game out if you have a one or two goal lead, right? You're, you're either chasing the game, preserving the game, um, or, or seeing it out, preserving the game in a more possession style rather than absorbing the counterattack. Now, for me, if you're going to absorb the counterattack, that's when you start putting in those like 75th, 80th minute guys where you're pulling off offensive players and putting in defensive players, changing your formation to maybe five guys along the back, like a 5-4-1, versus when you want to see the game out, you're keeping generally the same formation, like for like substitutes, getting tired guys out who have been running and scoring and, and keeping possession and getting uh, generating opportunities and assists and things like that. So those are the two kind of same but different, in, in my opinion, uh, substitution patterns when you're playing with a lead. Um, but those are the three reasons that I, the three ways you would use your substitutions other than say yellow cards, extra time, penalty kick, well, all that stuff. But you know, we don't go to PKs during the regular season and we might not go into the playoffs either now that they've changed the format. Right? So his substitution patterns, Ezra Henderson's substitution patterns last year were so very, very predictable and mundane and regular and, you saw the opposing teams take advantage of that by getting fresh legs in around the 60th minute or even in the 55th to the 60th minute uh, to take advantage of that against the fire or throwing in a lot of their subs between the 65th and 70th minute and really taking advantage of the fact that the fire have not made any uh, adjustments. And even I would say some of the best coaches in MLS would make a sub or two at halftime to make some sort of tactical tweaks and changes as well. And we didn't see any of that from Ezra Hendrickson. Finally, the last thing I think that really hurt the fire last season was discipline or the lack thereof, right? There were boneheaded yellow cards. There were bad tackles. We even saw the manager, Ezra Hendrickson, out on the pitch screaming at the refs a few games. Um, There was just a lot of times the fire lost their cool. And you cannot have that when the margin for error of that team was so thin, you're not scoring goals. You're on the, you're flirting with the playoff line throughout a lot of the season. You can't have those little things drop points like that. You cannot shoot yourself in the foot like that. And that did cost the fire 
at least two games, um, yellow card accumulation, suspensions, especially when you don't have a good roster uh, past I'll be generous here. Past your starting 11, when you don't have a lot of depth, you, you need your players to not get suspended. Anyway, those are kind of the four things that, that I thought went wrong last year, right? A lack of talent, players out of position, and, and maybe this is Ezra just trying to figure things out a bit. I hope so. I hope so. That, But when you have a guy who's been an assistant in the league as long as he has, a former player, and a guy that was an assistant coach with some pretty successful clubs in Columbus and Seattle, why do you need a year's time to get your formation straight? That's what I don't understand. So, all right, let's let's not fan the flames of the fire so much in our first full episode here, right? But giving him the benefit of the doubt, we need to see a better formation. We need to see players playing in their more natural positions as well as better substitutions and an improved culture on the field as far as discipline. And from that, I think the fire can pick up just enough points where they will fall into that playoff line. Now, things may be different when we do my Eastern Conference predictions, so stay tuned for future episodes for that, Um, but those are the things that they can do to make the playoffs. Well, soccer fans and fire fans, thank you for listening to the first full episode of the Feed the Fire podcast. Make sure you subscribe to wherever you get podcasts. Find us on YouTube, where we have a lot more MLS and World Cup soccer content. Find us on Facebook and Twitter, all at Glass House Soccer. I look forward to your feedback via email, glasshousesoccer at gmail.com. And with that, we will see you in the next episode.